0: Welcome to the Indianola First podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. To see you all today. We have been in a... You're going to have to turn me down a little bit because I'm barely talking, and I'm going to be shouting here in a minute. So you don't want me to blow anybody out this morning. It's ringing just a little bit on the high end, too. So this morning, we're going to continue in our series on unity as we go through the book of Ephesians. Um, we finished up talking about the fivefold ministry leadership gifts last week, and uh, we're moving on through chapter four. And, and, and just as a, a, a brief, brief recap, the idea that the ministry leadership gifts um, have been given to equip and build up the church and that they will continue to be given until we reach a unity, the Word of God says, as the body of unity within the body of Christ, that to the point, that unity to be to the point um, to where God considers us mature, that's just awesome to me. And we, we spent a few weeks doing that, but Paul's letter does continue in verse 17, chapter four, and I wanna jump right in it this morning and, and get you out of here in a good time, right? Because you gotta beat the Baptist to the buffet, right? So anyway, um, this, this topic of unity is really like a thread that runs through this entire book. And let's look at Ephesians four seventeen a just the first part of that verse. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. There's a thread of unity here, and I don't want you to miss this. Paul says with the Lord's authority, I'm telling you something. In other words, he's saying, what I'm about to say is from God, so listen up. It's like he's saying, this is important and I'm telling you what God has told me, so hear it, not just with your ears, but with your hearts. Don't live any longer as the Gentiles do, is what he says. We just read it. Don't mimic those that are of the world any longer. Don't mimic those people that are still of the world. We know that Gentiles are those who are not Jews, right? Right? But Paul just told, and if you might remember this weeks ago, we went over this, but Paul just told the Gentiles who believed and had received Christ that they had been grafted into the vine. They were adopted into God's family. And so he uses the word Gentile here to mean those outside the family of God. And that's important for you to understand. Those who are unbelieving and have not given their hearts and lives to Christ. He says, don't live like those people don't be like or live in step with those that are still of the world we're all in the world right all people are in the world but those who believe are no longer of the world we got any believers here this morning I mean we got some here is that true would you turn to your neighbor and say I'm a believer all right and when you say that, it means more than just basic belief because we know the devil even believes, right? Belief, when you say I'm a believer, it comes with it. You're committed to Christ. You've given yourself over to him. It's not just I believe God exists. I mean, big deal. That's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> right? Have you submitted to him? That's, that's what saying I'm a believer really means, This is the same thing Paul says to the Romans in his letter to them. In Romans 12, 2, the first part of that verse says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, choosing to be a part of the the body of Christ, receiving Christ as your Savior and Lord and uh, becoming born again, it's not without its responsibilities. Change must happen. Change is, in fact, the very litmus test of the authenticity of your proclaimed faith in Christ. He changes you from the inside out as you allow him to change you. He changes the way we think. He changes the way we do business. He changes the way we live. He changes what's important to us and what we strive for. He changes our very nature as we become conformed to his image and not just relax ourselves into a... Uh, worldly posture, if you will. And that change is never complete until our race is over. We should keep allowing him to mold and make us, changing us. I understand that when it comes to change, self-effort in and of itself is not the answer. You can't read enough self-help books to see the change that I'm talking about this morning. It's... Placing yourselves as clay in the master's hands and letting him work the rough spots out, molding you, creating what he wants to create, and giving him all access to do that. That's how change really occurs. Falling in love with him and his word and coming into an understanding of who he is and who he says that we are, that's the path to change, And Paul is so clear here, and and again, he emphatically emphasizes what he's saying by adding that he's speaking with the Lord's authority. Live no longer like the world lives. Again, this, this rings true with what he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 in his letter to them. He says, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. If the body of Christ doesn't look any different than the world then are they really the body of Christ if the members of the body of Christ look like the world and how they talk and how they do business how inappropriately they dress what what they watch as entertainment what activities they engage in I mean if those in the church are no different than those outside the church then what's the point of what Paul is really saying here He says, don't be like the world, but if you look, you act, you smell, you are just like the world, then what's the point of what he's saying? Christianity has responsibility. Salvation is a free gift, but that doesn't mean that responsibility is thrown to the wind. Remember what Jesus said in one of his last earthly prayers. Father, make them one even as you and I are one. He's talking about the church there. Make them one. His, and it's an unanswered prayer. It's the unanswered prayer of Christ, right? It will be answered because all his prayers get answered. Everything he says will be answered. But unity to the fullness hasn't happened within the church yet. In his body. Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. Wow. That's oneness. That's unity. He prayed for unity for his bride, for his church. And when members of the church won't come out and be separate from the world, it causes disunity within the body of Christ. It seems like such a simple thing, don't live like the world lives, but Paul is giving us a real key to unity here as well. If we all refuse to live like the world, unity in the body of Christ happens just kind of naturally. When those within the church allow the Bible to be their authority on how they should conduct themselves, unity or oneness will be the result. And and don't get confused. I'm not coming at you this morning with a legalistic hand, I'm just reading the scripture, and Paul says, Stop living like the world. When individuals within the church look and live like the world, all sorts of disunity occurs. It just erupts. There's arguments about what's right and wrong, and who's doing this, and who's doing that, and why are they doing it, and blah, 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 and they're fighting. We don't have a lot of that here. But that's what generally happens in a lot of church splits. So Paul gives us a little list in the next few verses, and the list isn't meant to be exhaustive by any means, but, but they are certainly important points for us to consider, So I want to look at the second part of what verse 17 says we just read it you know don't live like the world lives and he says in Ephesians 4 17b for they are hopelessly confused hopelessly confused that's my first point today they are hopelessly confused the world is he says come on don't live like the world they're confused what a great description of the world we live in today I mean, our, our leaders won't or can't even define what a woman or a man is. People trying to transition from one sex to another as if God made a mistake in creating them. And then all of those that want to identify as they or, or, or them or, or, or as a cat, non-binary, basically anything as long as it refuses submission to the way God created them. Because that's really what's going on. There's always something new, right? There's always something, I want to be known as this. I want to be identified as this. I want to be identified as this. And and I'm sorry, I didn't have any sensitivity training in uh, in my ministry training. So, okay, so, and and maybe I should. I'm not kicking those kinds of people that struggle with those kinds of issues. Don't, Don't misread what I'm saying today. I don't hate. It actually makes me hurt. And the love comes out because I'm like, you don't have to live that way because it's miserable. But basically, anything sexual goes as long as it refuses submission to the way God created them. It submission's the issue. And it's not just sex, sexuality that has become so confused. I mean, the world is hopelessly confused. Paul just said it. Politics today. I mean, who's telling the truth and who isn't? Who says anything to get votes and who just speaks the truth? How deep does the deep state go? And is there any honesty or integrity from those we elect as our leaders? Would we know either way? How would we even know? Democrats, Republicans, independents, Tea Party members, liberal versus conservative. You, you, you can watch the liberal media and get one story and then listen to the conservative media, media and the story is completely different. Like, well, I'll go with the conservative one or I'll go with the liberal one. Are, are we so hopelessly confused that we just decide for ourselves what truth is by picking which camp we're a part of? Truth doesn't come from our camp. It comes from God. Amen. It comes from his word, Right? When the church looks like the world, when we are just as confused as they are, we end up surrendering our ability to challenge the culture in which we live. We become just another voice that adds to the chaotic noise and it's noisy out there, it's tough. But when we come out from the world and we separate ourselves from them, when we refuse to live like they do, the church will be heard. They'll be like that, that, that city on a hill. Some people say, really? Really? Won't you just be labeled a hater and a fool and kicked to the curb, so to speak? Are, are, are you kidding me, church? Everyone that lives in chaos and confusion, everyone, they're desperate for peace and some understanding. That's how the church grows. It stands up and refuses to be tainted by the world. Our weapons aren't carnal, Church. We don't fight like the rest of the world does. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10:3 through five, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We have fleshly bodies, we're here in this world, we live here, but we don't war like they do. We don't war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Don't be confused. Don't fight like the world fights. We battle differently, for we are no longer of this world. We have a new way of living. And that's what I titled the next, these, two, these two messages, this week and next week, A New Way of Living. We're not like the world anymore. We're not hopelessly confused. And Paul tells us something else about those who are in the world. Ephesians 4, 18, he says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. So too, their minds are darkened. They're dark. Have you ever gone on a tour of a cave? One of the coolest but most eerie moments is when you get way down deep within the caverns and they turn all the lights off. Your eyes don't adjust. There's literally no light for your eyes to adjust to. It's just pitch black. Nothing can be seen. Not even your own hand in front of your face. It's very similar to the basement of this church. <laughs> There's lights on today, so your kids are fine. Okay, just so just, just, you know. Helen Keller famously said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Paul says that we are not to be like those in the world who have no vision for what God wants for their lives. He says they wander, which means they walk around aimlessly. And even if they think they have figured things out as far as a plan for their life, They're still aimlessly walking around without a vision because man's vision apart from God's direction is meaningless. Paul's describing the world here. He says the body of Christ shouldn't be living in darkness without vision for their life. The world closes their minds to God. They they write off the truth of his existence. And even if they do give some sort of mental consent to the idea of God being or a higher being, they they certainly don't feel a responsibility to come underneath his authority. Submission isn't natural to the world. They hate it. They don't want to submit. And that's the issue. We've submitted, those of us that believe, those of us that are no longer of the world, we might be in it, but we're not of it. We've submitted to Christ, and he is our king. We've chosen To submit. How many in here are with me? We've chosen to submit. To refuse to surrender to God is to deny Him completely. Because the very nature and definition of God is an all powerful, all authoritative being. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all powerful all-knowing, all-authoritative, and he loves you with an everlasting love. He absolutely knows what's best. He loves us the most. He absolutely has a wonderful plan for your life. To choose to walk in darkness and refuse to allow him to be the Lord of your life is maybe the most unintelligent thing that a person could ever do. I mean, if he's an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, why not submit to him and have your life be amazing? No, I'm going to fight against it. I'm not submitting. I want the controls of my life in my hands. I know what's best for me. I don't trust him. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. He's all-authoritative. He knows the, the, the beginning from the end, and he's everything in between. What are you, crazy? You don't want to submit to that? And then he says that those in the world harden their heart against him. Why would we as members of his body ever do that? Paul says, "Don't be like the world. So obviously there was people in the church even already, in the early part of the church. This was just first century church stuff, right? And, and he's already making comments like, "Don't harden your heart. Don't be like the world. Come out from them. Be separate." Don't harden your heart against him. Why would we ever do that? In the original Greek, the term translated in verse 18 is harden their hearts, or that phrase means they allowed a callous to cover their hearts. The world has calloused hearts. The church shouldn't. We aren't calloused to the sinful things that we see people engage in, at least I hope we're not. We aren't calloused to the evil and the unholiness of the times we live in. At least I hope we're not. A callus is a, is a thickened and hardened part of the skin or soft tissue due to that area being subjected to friction. That's the definition of a callus. And our physical bodies do this to protect these areas of soft tissue. You know, you, you work a, a little bit with a, with a shovel and you don't wear gloves and pretty soon what? You get, you get blisters first, right? And then after a while, you keep using that shovel in the same way, no gloves, pretty soon you get this hardened callus on your hands. Just because we experience some friction out there in the world, when good collides with evil, there's a rub, if you will, right? That's what happens. As members of his body, we can't allow that rub or that friction we experience to spiritually thicken and harden our hearts. We aren't to become callous to the world. We shouldn't become so used to the sin and evil around us that it doesn't hurt our hearts anymore. And see, this this is really the difference between the church being legalistic and the church being loving and full of grace. It's not that they're accepting of everything. That's not grace. What it is is that they feel with the heart of Jesus. They're not calloused. They stay soft and pliable. They, 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 They see the sin and the evil around them and it hurts their heart. It, they feel pain, and it drives them to compassionate prayer. It drives them to reach out in love. See, sometimes the church just stands there and says, "Idolater, evil!" Right? That's my big voice. I use that on my kids when they were little. Scared them, no. Donnie, no. <laughs> I don't use it on staff members. They laugh at me. So. But the church does that. We have this stance of, and that, that's how sometimes the world sees the church because the church has acted like that in the past. Instead of remaining soft and heartbroken for the sin and the things they see around, the evil that they see all around them, they just, nope. I don't want nothing to do with that, which we shouldn't. We shouldn't want to be in there doing the same things, right? But we stand there and we point the finger. We don't need to become calloused. We aren't to become calloused to the world. We we shouldn't become so used to sin and the evil around us that it doesn't hurt our hearts anymore. It's the body of Christ. We need to see, as Christ sees, we need to see with his eyes, hurting people who are lost, who need Jesus. We're not better than them, we just found where the truth was. We've experienced it. You want to know the best thing, the best argument you can ever make, ever, theologically, for the case of Christ? My life has been changed. Nobody can argue with that. I once was lost and now I'm found. I've experienced it. And you have too, right? (laughs) You tell people about that. There's no argument to a changed life. People who are in the world and of the world, they have no hope if the church is so calloused and hard-hearted towards sin that it doesn't even bother the church anymore. It, it bothers them, but, but, but boy, they, they react with a, we're going to go isolate ourselves from all of you. We're going to be the us four and no more. We're going to hold the fort. We're going to have a holy huddle. We're not going to let you in because you're bad and we're good. That's elitism. I don't know about you, but I didn't deserve Christ, and I got him anyway. About deserving. It's about finding. God, give us soft hearts. Let our hearts break for the things that break your heart. Never let us become so callous that we stop seeing sin for what it is. And there's another side of callousness to sin. We, we're around it so much that we just, it doesn't even bother us and we actually are close to it all the time and we don't even care. It it doesn't affect us. There's different ways to respond with a calloused heart. Paul in his first letter to Timothy said that in the latter days there would be a great falling away of those within the body of Christ. Theological term was the great apostasy where, where believers would fall away from a relationship with Jesus. He said that their consciences would be seared with a hot iron. And I just think of a, I did this in youth group one time. I took a big old steak, raw steak, and I took an iron, heated it up, and I just set it right on the steak, and it went. Tsh. And that's what happens when we get calloused hearts. That, that's what, it's like we're seared with that hot iron, and that stuff doesn't bother us anymore. It should bother us, but we should react in the right way. He also told Timothy in that letter, he said, um, that they would follow doctrines of demons and that they would listen to deceiving spirits. And, And church, that's happening, even now within the body of Christ. Darkened minds, that's the world, that's not us. We have a new way of living. We don't live like the world anymore. We have a new way of living. And Paul gives another characteristic of those that are in the world. He says in Ephesians 4.19, the next verse, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. They live for pleasure. That's number three. That's the world. That's not us. They live for pleasure. I have to say that shame is, is like fear in this sense. We know fear is a liar, right? And that fear comes from the devil, right? Amen? You know that? But we are created with a measure of fear to protect us. We should feel some fear about walking down the middle of a busy highway or fear of driving 100 miles an hour on a gravel road. That kind of fear is there to protect. As your kids get their license when they're 16 or whenever they get it, you don't want them going down the gravel road at 100 miles an hour. You would pray and hope that a little fear would enter their heart, right, and that they would, it would protect them. You see what I'm saying? But the devil perverts everything. That that which is meant to protect is perverted into lying fear. And and of course that's from him. And that is from the devil. And it is a liar. Shame is similar in that we should feel a sense of shame when we sin. A child who is caught in a lie should feel ashamed. If, If you cheat on your spouse, you should feel some sort of shame. But the shame that comes from the devil is rooted in lies. It's different. The shame that comes from the accuser of the brother and the shame that one feels about their sin long after they have given it to Jesus, that shame is is condemnation and it's different. It's perverted shame. Healthy shame, if if you can even say that, or, or let's call it conviction, all right? Always draws you back to God. It always draws you back to God. That kind of conviction, or the shame Paul's talking about here, draws you back to God. Unhealthy shame or shame that's rooted in lies from the devil always pushes you further away from God. That's how you know which one's which. One will draw you in, one will push you away. But Paul is referring here to that conviction type of shame. He says those in the world have no sense of of conviction or shame. They don't feel convicted about the sins they commit. They live for lustful pleasures, be it sex, becoming powerful, getting high, acquiring massive wealth and possessions or whatever other overdesire for worldly pleasures you can think of. Romans 1.30 says that man invents ways of doing evil. They sit around and come up with ways of doing evil things and new ways of sinning. And of course, we see that all over. Technology has allowed us to carry every translated version of the Bible around in our pockets via cell phones, but that same technology has given access to pornography to everyone with a cell phone as well. I mean, it is amazing to me in almost, well, 30 years of ministry how different the preaching is from what it was when I started. Like, it would have never, ever dawned on me when, the, when I had those first youth kids in youth group, you know, yeah, stay away from pornography. That meant if, if your parents have it or your dad has it, stay away from it. If your friends show it to you, if they stole some magazine, then, then get rid of it, you know? And now every kid carries it in the pocket. It's that changed. I mean, 30 years ago, you would have never thought we never thought that we would see same-sex marriage or abortion on demand or all these things that have come down the pike and just become part of our culture and society. And here we are. I heard someone say the other day they were talking about the pedophilia, and they're saying, they were saying, well, that will never become legalized. You want to make a bet? How do we counter that in this world? I mean, these are hard things, aren't they? These are difficult things, and they're hard for the church to know what to do. Someone comes, uh, and we've been asked this many times as pastoral staff, my family member is part of a same-sex uh, relationship. They're going to get married now. I'm invited to the wedding. Do I go or don't I go? Nobody's answering. Nobody's answering. There's, there's division in here already. There's division in here already. What does the word of God say? That that's sin, so do you just support it? Or do you burn the bridge that you can never minister to that person again? It's a hard situation, right? I'm not gonna give you the answer. I'm gonna tell you get in the word and figure it out. And someone's gonna get mad at me. Yeah, you never go to the... You know what? I have loved ones, family members, who have jumped into those lifestyle situations. I don't hate them whatsoever. I have nothing but love for them. I don't love what they do, and I'm sad for them because what they're doing, the Bible calls sin, and I'm a submitted Christian to Jesus and his word. That means it doesn't, his word doesn't change because I love someone who decided to sin. I can't change that. I'm submitted to the word. That's our source, right? That's us as Christians. So these things become very, very difficult. Maybe the answer is, I will be at that wedding supporting you because I love you. I do not support your lifestyle choice, though. I need to make that clear. If they said, well, don't come to the wedding then, it's okay. I'm saddened by that, but okay. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know what the particular situation is. It probably depends on how close you are, what conversations you have, the relationship you have, probably all includes a lot of that. It's tough. That's not the only thing. There's all sorts of questions like that coming at the church all the time. How do we answer it? Paul says, don't live like the world any longer. Don't live like the world any longer. They live for pleasure. Their minds are darkened. They're hopelessly confused. Those who are in the world and of the world, they will always pleasure-seek. They'll always seek to please their flesh. They have, since the beginning of time, done that. Those that are in the world but not of it, they seek to please God, not just their flesh. And that's the world we live in, the world that we are no longer of. As born-again Christians, we are members of his body. We are not hopelessly confused, and we don't walk around darkened minds and callous hearts. As members of the body, we are not pleasure of the flesh seekers. We have a new way of living. We exist to serve and please Jesus Christ. And that's difficult sometimes. It makes for very tough decisions. A lot of balance and a lot of walking the line and making sure that your heart is right constantly. And maybe this kind of message challenges us a little bit that we need to be people of the Spirit and led of the Spirit because the answers are hard to find. We gotta be led of the Spirit all the time. We gotta be in prayer so that we're we're charged up with the Holy Spirit so we know what to do and when to do it and what to say and what not to say. There's no pad answers to this stuff. The devil loves it because it causes division. Paul continues in Ephesians 4, 20 through 23. He says, all that stuff, the, the, uh, the hopelessly confused fusion of the world, the, the darkening of their minds and the, and the, uh, the pleasure-seeking people that, that people of the world are, uh, he says, all of that and then he goes into this, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Throw it off, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, and when all the church does this, when we stop living like the unsaved Gentiles, when we refuse to live and look like the world, unity is the natural byproduct. Think about it, what causes division in the church in this day and time? Doctrinal differences really aren't the culprit. They might've created the denominations at one time, but today it's, it's almost always about the fighting over moral issues. I can think of a a few people over the years who have caused division with differing doctrines, but so many more that have stirred up problems and discord because of their refusal to submit to the moral values laid out by the word of God. And the word of God lays out moral values, by the way, pretty clearly. Well, I don't agree with those. Then you're not submitted to Jesus and his word and you're not part of the body of Christ. I'm just gonna say it. If you openly say, I'm not submitting to that, don't be part of the body. That's your choice. It's just that simple, though. We all know there's a time period when you come in to Jesus and you, you're, you're accepted by him. and you're, It's kind of that, maybe it's a spiritual honeymoon time, right? You're just like, oh, Jesus, I love him. I love. Him. And then when you start finding out in the word that there's these standards, that there's these things he expects of us, not in a legalistic way, but because of our love for him, we we submit to him and we submit to his word. And and then that's the rough edges that start getting rubbed off. And the moment, we never get done with that, by the way. That's our whole life, right? Those rough edges get rubbed off. Some of them come off easy. Some of them take a long time. Some of them take, you know, uh, 60-grit sandpaper. And some of them take 220-grit sandpaper. (laughs) It's the moment we say, I don't agree with you, Lord, or your word, that's the moment it's over, kind of, For at least unless you change that attitude. As long as we're in that place where we're in his hands and we're allowing him to change us, we're fine. But when life and the things of this world, you know, and and, and then the word of God, they, they collide when they come like this, and you choose the the world side and not the Word of God side, that's a problem. That's how you get an apostate church. In the last days, I already mentioned this, there'll be a great apostasy, many will fall away from the faith. That's how it happens, little by little by little, I don't really agree with that. Uh, I like, you know, this whole lifestyle thing, I mean... God is love, and if two people love each other, what's wrong with that? Tough stuff, right? The word of God's pretty clear. I don't mean to pick on anything or anybody. I just, just want to remind us that we aren't the inventors of what right and wrong is. If we are, then you are your own God. My God is all authoritative, all powerful, all loving, all knowing. He's everywhere all the time. He is the definition of truth. He doesn't just know the truth. He is the truth. He embodies it. He's the embodiment of truth. So I come underneath that, I hope you do too, as Christians we come underneath that and we submit to him and we say, whatever you say God. You're our God. I'm not my God. Boy, that's tough for some people to get because we love to control. You can't merely feel your way The cesspool of difficult questions anymore that are out there. You got to be actively reading and studying the Word of God so that you know how to conduct yourself. You have to have a prayer life so you can follow the Holy Spirit. The the world is confused and it's confusing, church, but we don't have to be confused. The world is aimlessly walking around in the dark, no real eternal vision for their lives, basically just a live for the moment kind of thing. But the church walks in the light of the truth. We are the body of Christ and we know our Creator he's all too willing to guide us into all truth and down the path in which we were uniquely created to walk. The world lives for fleshly pleasures. Those in the church have tasted and seen how good and pleasant and wonderful the presence of God is. In fact, that, what, what the world calls pleasure is merely a cheap counterfeit for the joy that we can experience spiritually in his presence as we grow in relationship with him. So, Church, I'm, just, I'm calling you again, every one of these messages calls us to unify, to be uni- unified, to have unity within the body. Let's unify our efforts. Let's all together throw off that old sinful nature, as Paul said, throw it off, and that former way of life that we lived, let's allow the Holy Spirit to renew our thoughts and attitudes so we think rightly about things. Let's put on our new nature. We were created to be like God. That's the nature we were created with now, that new nature. The old is gone, the new has come. We are new creations in Christ, right? We're righteous, we're created to be righteous and holy before him. It's our new way of living. It's a new way of living. It's a new life. I, I know personally how difficult it is as we get bogged down and all the confusion and darkness and sinful pleasures of this world. We've got to come out and be separate. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it is truth, it is, it is light for our souls. And God, I pray that no one in this room heard things that I didn't say. Sometimes we tend to hear what we want to hear. Father, make us a people that's uncalloused towards the evil and the junk that we have to be around all the time. Help us have your heart, your eyes. Help us, God, to be sensitive and Be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, as your word says. Help us navigate through all of these things, Lord. Your word says that we are no longer to live like the world, but that's hard when we're smack dab in the middle of it. Help us always be in that constant state of change where you're molding and making us. God, help us as as a body, a local body of believers, to to be able to talk to one another without fighting about some of these things, Lord. Let let these discussions of, of moral values based off the word just kind of permeate our conversations, Lord, as we spend time together. Let us strengthen one another and become iron sharpening iron, God. Lord, our desire is to submit to you and to submit to you more fully every single day, to your word, to your nature, to your character, to who you are. Is there anyone here this morning that would just say, you know what, I I have given my heart to Christ, but... Being in the world, the world has really had a hold on me in some of these areas of sin or opinion or moral value issues. or And maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I, I do need to make those decisions to submit to God fully, to submit to his word fully. And if that's you today, no one's looking up, no one's going to look around. It's just between you and God. Say, yeah, Lord, raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I need need to be more submitted to you. And I need to come out from the world. I I see your hands. It's not that you stop having compassion on people who are in those sinful things. It's not. It's not that you stop loving them. It's not that you start hating them. That's That's not the heart of God. God, forgive us for not coming out more and being separate, coming out and being separate from the world. God, we commit our hearts to you today. We submit, we come underneath your authority. What you say, say, Whatever you say goes in our life, Lord. That's our prayer. You are our king, you are our leader, you are our God. We submit to you. Lord, if we have wrong thinking, change our thinking. And God, we just want to walk in unity of the Spirit as you lead this body to wherever you're leading us into the fullness of your will. Lord, bless every father that's here today. Give everybody safe, wonderful time together today. And uh, Lord, we just give you glory for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.